GM Jenko. What is going on, my man? What's up, Carlo? A lot's going on. Oh, man, I just always, there's always a lot going on. Are you doing all right? I'm doing good, man. I just had lunch and going to grab myself an espresso right now. And I'm excited to talk with you. And I'm excited to talk with all the lawyers and people that have come up and share their day with us. So pretty grateful we got this thing. Yeah, it's really, really fun. Really good week. We go hard. I know how much extra work you put in. It really is. is. I like seeing these people come, come Pablo's, you know. I'm raising a different hemisphere sometimes from us, and we're all we all have lunch together. I love it. It's like uh, it's like, and it's like clockwork, which is fun. I see Nir McDear, you're here. Thank you. Welcome. Props on getting uh, voted one of the top young lawyers in IP in Florida. Congratulations on that. Oh, very cool, Pablo. Thank you for hanging with us. I pinned a few things, Jenko. I don't know if you saw what I pinned, Jenko, but a couple of interesting developments that I found. Um, and we'll do the disclaimer and then unpack it. If everyone would be kind enough to retweet, it would really be appreciated so we can spread the word that we're together here doing this. Thank you. So welcome, everyone, to Law Line with Carlo and Jenko. We do this every Tuesday through Friday, weather permitting, in conjunction with Rug Radio. And we talk about current events and Web3 legal. Nothing we talk about should be considered legal or financial advice. If you have a specific legal question, you should seek out the advice of a lawyer who's licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. And you should do that confidentially, not on a recorded Twitter space, because we do record these spaces and may use them later for future rebroadcast. So that being said, Jenko, here we are. Interesting release by the CFTC. Yesterday, they were speaking, I believe, at the Brookings Institute. And in their presentation, they talked about the creation of a new tech innovation office to oversee crypto. So in this void, as far as who is going to step up and who's going to be taking the mantle as far as regulating this space, CFTC Chief Rostin Benman, I hope I got that right. His speech announces the launch of this innovation tech office, and they are serious because they believe they're going to be responsible under the proposed legislation that's in Congress right now that they're going to be carrying the lion's share of regulating the space. And I found that to be a very positive move, that they actually are, are open to a conversation This damn you, but no, it seems that way. Um, that's what you want. What are the drawbacks? We're, all, we're also, um, the discussion seems to center around security. And really, that's just a function of cost and speed, right? It's, it doesn't know, you know, if it's a security, it costs more, et cetera, et cetera. What are the drawbacks? What's it look like? What's the playing field look like? If these are commodities, what's the regulatory landscape there? 
in comparison, is it, is it just a, I mean, the sentiment is it's much easier, but any specifics on that to discuss? You know, I think, I think the problem isn't necessarily how they're categorized. This is probably a really basic explanation and response. I don't think the problem is so much how they're categorized. It's it, the problem is there's a lack of clarity as to who to go to for guidance. And if you can't get any clear understanding of what is a commodity and what is a security, then you're sort of, you're adrift. You know, if, if the answer is, well, the only thing that's a commodity is Bitcoin and possibly Ethereum and everything else is an investment contract. Well, that creates a huge hurdle for innovation and for development in this space, because you have to pass through so many hoops if you're a security that it's it's so daunting. And I don't think I'm not I'm not a securities lawyer, but I don't think you have those hurdles under the commodity model. Just easier, easier, cheaper, faster. I wonder if there's any specific unintended consequence that might bite everyone who's who's um, anti, like hoping that that the SEC doesn't have. Well, I think our colleague, I think our colleague Ellie had talked about this previously. That just because something's a commodity under CFTC regulation doesn't mean that you can't get, you know, hit for insider trading doesn't change the, the paradigm. As yeah, well. a lot of the protections are still there. Okay, good. Very good. I, I think I think it's just a matter of who's to be interested in, in having a conversation. And it seems to be based on, and look, we, we talked about this last week, that the CFTC stepped up immediately after the Coinbase case and issued an announcement it seems to be that they are taking a more aggressive posture in trying to define their, their, their place in this, in this ecosystem. The interagency okay. stuff is, is fascinating. You can't even speculate on that. Sometimes it's an individual who is, has their own kind of ambition and sometimes they're well-coordinated and sometimes they're, they're kind of antithetical to each other. It's very nuanced and kind of specific. Analogy I can come up with is it takes me back to the um, Silk Road case where you had a new emerging technology that was used to commit very, very bad crimes using the dark web. And you had this vacuum as far as who was in charge of prosecuting and investigating. And you had all these different government agencies vying for the lead on how to investigate this new and emerging crime. It kind of reminds me of that, that sort of a, of, a, of a thing that we're seeing unfold. It's fascinating. I mean, meanwhile, every day, new projects are happening, things are, disagreements are occurring, and everybody's in this Robert Jackson's zone of twilight where like nobody really knows. It's, it's very difficult. It's difficult on us as lawyers trying to advise in this space. It's difficult for founders who want to create in this space. And 
I, I'll take a quote from this from this uh, from this speech from the CFTC. Quote: We are past the incubator stage, and digital assets and decentralized technologies have outgrown their sandboxes. And they seem to be of the position that look, innovation's happening. It's happening at a rapid speed. There's enough test cases out there that we can now clearly step into this space and give guidance. And they're rebranding, you know, they're sort of rebranding themselves. And I think strategically wanting to take a lead before the legislation's passed. Quote, even the strongest cooperative relationships may not yield the efficiency we need to put hard and fast stops on misconduct that increasingly has impacts beyond individual investors. The lack of a comprehensive regulatory regime applicable to businesses operating in the digital asset market has led to inconsistent practices around issues such as trade settlement, conflicts of interest, data reporting, and cybersecurity. So they, they seem to be, in advance of the incoming legislation, wanting to position themselves as ready, willing, and able to regulate this space. Like you said, I don't know if that's going to end up being a blessing or a curse. I don't know if six months, a year from now, people will be longing for the days of the SEC regulating this space. I don't know. But it's certainly interesting. Can you imagine? <laughs> longing for the days of the SEC. Um, it's, it's a weird cart before the horse situation. You analogized it quite well to that Silk Road. And I... Uh, I hope that the technology and the, the, the I'm drawn to this space because of these people, not just you, Carlo, but you really are among them. But these, we have this great group of lawyers, but outside of the lawyers, people don't know the first thing about Howie are really just opening up their creative muscles and really doing cool things and doing cool things with the, thought at least in my head of building important systems that are better for for humanity than the current structures and i just hate for rug pulls to cause disruption to that kind of atmosphere right now so so wherever we land i want it to foster that innovation because you know something like fractionalizing an, an nft maybe just a silly investment contract right now or even something different. But once it's an apartment complex or a condo title, or once these things become more robust and deep rooted in our society, the technology that's being kind of played with right now could be transformative. Um, You know, I, I used to work for a condo association. That was one of my practice areas. It's brutal. Like it's just, awful so i'd love this on chain stuff i love the the um provenance is super important in our world and sometimes that 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 priority doesn't translate to um the final regulators so i don't know i think there's a lot of competing interests that's an actual great segue jenko to the other thing that i had pinned up today which is the chief policy officer at coinbase put out a blog post, which I pinned and I read it this morning and I found it to be such a thoughtful 
analysis and plea to the SEC to please work with us on rulemaking on digital, digital asset securities and talking about the very things that you and I talk about day in and day out, that the problem remains that we're trying to take something modern and we're trying to regulate it by 1933 Securities Act and precedent going back to Howie and how that's difficult and it's challenging and the lack of clear regulation and clear definition of what a digital asset is, is stifling innovation and potentially chasing this technology out of the United States. It is such a well thought out and hits on everything that you and I have been talking about. And they're proposing they want to come up with a solution. With this petition, we are asking the SEC to start a process where the public and key stakeholders can transparently provide input to the agency's work on crypto. We also hope the petition will launch a broader conversation where members of Congress, many of whom also see the need for the regulation to allow Carlo, that background music is perfect. Are you at the I skating can't, rink? I, I can't help it. Yeah, I got my skates on. I'm skating right now. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, right now I'm shuffling backwards to the song as we speak. I can't control what's <laughs> in the background. <laughs> But that is classic, Jenko. Thank you. I'll try to go to a quieter place. No, I like it. Rug radio, elevator, elevator music. Hey, one of you lawyers need to come up and talk. Come on, man. Well, I'm going to take issue with your your um, who is it? The CPO? I don't know his name. Fitzgerald. I don't know. Um, the Coinbase blog. Okay, go for is it. Is it the best? First of all, you read it. It does lay out much of what we're we're talking about. It makes perfect sense in a lot of ways if you're just someone who who isn't deep into this and you're like, oh, let me read it. Doing it publicly, the more eloquent and persuasive you are, it's almost more of a slap in the face to the – like write the letter – and mail it to them. My point is, if you haven't already proposed this, you're behind the ball. So now what are you doing? You're just kind of doing a PR thing. And it is this really going to lead, hopefully I'm way wrong, but does this blog, public blog post that was built with all the science of engagement and kind of PR positioning, does it really open the door is the tar am i the target you and i the target of this blog post or does it really practically open the door to dialogue with the right people at the sec or does it turn does it fuel a, a flame that's all the public nature of it although we're in this new world where we talked about it yesterday chief legal officers are subtweeting people retweeting with con it's like i don't know what's going on out there there's clients on twitter there's lawyers on Twitter. There's presidents on Twitter. It's, it's just very different. So um. I take what you say. I, I agree. I, I understand with your perspective and I can see I can see your point of view on this. I, I'm more or less I'm not judging the motives behind it as much as I was impressed by by how it was structured and laid out. It, it hit a lot of the points that you and I talk about and that the lawyers on these panels that we bring up share. So it's thoughtful. What motivated it? Yeah, I think that's that's definitely open to being criticized because it is coming after 
the lawsuit. It's coming after the indictment. It may be calculated. It may be intended to sort of change the narrative to sort of, you know, avoid the stock price dropping. There's there's many motives as to why they'd want to do it. So I can see your point of view on that. And I certainly I certainly think that that's something to consider when you read it and take it with a grain of salt. But as far as what was articulated in it, 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 it really, I mean, it just boils it down to, can we just, can we just have a conversation and get some clarity? <laughs> I mean, that's, but that's, that breaks down. I mean, I'm talking more macro, just flaws in our systems, but, and I see a lot of this as I was in Boston working with a lot of companies that worked with um, FanDuel and their competitor there, whatever the other one is, the Daily Sports Fantasy, um, Daily Fantasy Sports Companies. And essentially, you could bet on sports outcomes and the performance of players every single day. And they just kind of opened it up without, you know, the government saying it is or is not legal gambling. They just did it like like with brute force. <clears throat> and there's like this this point of no return where you're so ubiquitous in the marketplace that no matter what happens, you can either absorb a fine and then readjust your business practices because you have a big balance sheet and you have big, big customer base. So if you do things quick enough, which I think Coinbase may be an analogy here to that, those daily sports fantasy companies, um, they grew quickly. They've been around many for a long time, but that bull market um, increased their balance sheet and increased their users. And then the public offering really put them in a good position. So now it's like a startup can't doesn't have the luxury of doing that. A, a company with billions now and, and a ton of customers can say, okay, let's talk. Let's just figure this thing out. I'm open to whatever you want to do. Let's just do right by the people and I'll modify my practices. When you're a startup scrapping along and you have an idea or an NFT project or whatever, you can't kind of like absorb those pivots um, and just give half of your business model to like the SEC and be like, what do you think we should do? So it's, there's this um, very American um, business model of getting out ahead of, regulators to the point of no return and then turning back and saying, okay, let's work together. Let's understand. And that's exactly what FanDuel did like perfectly like FanDuel. They wrote the bills um, that carved exceptions to daily fantasies state by state. And it was because they had so many, they, they had market share before anyone could blink an eye. Um, and I don't know, that's an interesting way things unfold. I don't know how purposeful it is or how, um, much of a viable strategy from the outset it is, but really I, I've seen that more and more. Yeah, it's is like it? the genie in the bottle. It's hard to put the genie back in the bottle when you have a tremendous user base, when you have market saturation and penetration, and you have a vacuum as far as what the law and regulations are. So, yeah, I tend to agree with you. That's a calculated gamble that some firms may take and, and say, hey, here's an opportunity. Here's an opening in the market. It doesn't exist. We've looked. There isn't any clear regulation in this space. So we're going to go for it. And we're going to calculate into our business model that we might get spanked by some regulatory body. But 
you know, I guess the calculus is we're prepared to absorb that because we're so entrenched that we're, we're going to succeed and we'll just pay a fine. It'll be a cost of doing business. And that, that the nature of outrunning them to get to that point when you can absorb that fine, I think is it requires regulatory or legal ambiguity. And then you're like, okay, we can keep it ambiguous for X years. <laughs> but I, I loved di- dissecting it. But the, the reality is these are not going to go away. But I don't like to look at any one case as a make or break it for the industry. And that's what I tried to stress in another conversation I had. Yeah, because yesterday we did kind of drift into that direction that this Coinbase case is kind of the do or die moment. This is the defining case of the space. And, you know, here's a question that just popped into my head. Do you think that we, as we descend more into regulation, that we're going to see less innovation? Do you think we've sort of hit peak innovation in the space because there are no rules and that once the rules are set in stone, that may that may sort of stifle growth. We used to coach a lot of baseball and I'd say hitters hit. If you're a hitter, I don't want to hear about the sun in your eyes. I don't want to hear how fast the ball was going. If you're a hitter, you hit. The innovators are going to innovate. I think that there's web three native people who are not going to be stopped. Their work within and, and comply, but they're not going to be stopped. They're not going to forego the technology that they love. And the biggest and brightest innovators in the world just practically are some of these big time companies that have big R&D budgets and are willing to, to, to put a lot of expensive talent on a task of the imagination team, you know, things of like, hey, find something cool that we can do with this technology. Some of the biggest, baddest, scariest um, corporate evil doers are out there kind of that's that's part of their model. So and once they innovate with the nature of decentralization and open source, it compounds on itself and it exponentially grows. So I don't think they'd be as well positioned to put a gate around their corporate innovations. So clarity is the only thing, like you pointed out earlier, that I see really stopping innovation is when you lack clarity in this space. Once you have clarity, no matter how onerous it is, the innovators will innovate and then um, and then we'll reap the benefits and the applications. I don't think you could kill this industry. One thing I would like to see come out of this, and this is an observation, is I would like to see Congress legislate a more just and fair process for administrative proceedings when it comes to these digital assets. And it cannot be a completely um, administrative process where you don't have immediate access to a judicial arbiter and you don't have a clear path towards challenging these decisions. You know, it seems that they, they sort of go this administrative path, which is very internal to the agency and doesn't afford you um, doesn't afford you a great opportunity at what I would characterize as sort of due process in the, in, the, in the scheme of things, and that you don't get that due process until you've already been hit, you've been fined, and you have to appeal, it seems. And that, I think, is something that needs to be resolved, because the barrier to innovation that comes with having to um, 
fund a defense in that respect, it's ominous. I've heard many people complain about the fact that the fines and the sanctions are so big that it's a huge incentive to settle. And the cases that really need to get challenged never make it up into the courts because they have to fold up and, and take their lumps and move on. Yeah, it was very, um, I was pretty naive for a while, I guess. But when I learned how much cherry picking the case law is a result of, like you're saying, it's a result of cherry picking, like, like repeat players in litigation will cherry pick certain advantageous sets of facts among thousands of similar cases litigate that and like we talked about yesterday sometimes there's parallel criminal cases sometimes a a, a, a just a, a motion on a preclusion of some evidence really shapes these things um and i really i i the incentives are not as aligned as i used to think where if it was a true kind of this robust um debate and to find truth, but really there's kind of um, asymmetries in a lot of places. Yeah, it's, uh, there's but definitely that's a lot why of flaws. But it's not going to be any different. Like, like the civil courts, I could name a dozen things that are screwed up. You can name two dozen things that are screwed up about criminal process. And there's all sorts of solutions, but they all come with their own compromises. And that's kind of my broader point when like, no, none, whatever, every day we have this, another case to talk about. I love it, but it's almost, if you believe, if you believe in the tech, it's not dispositive at all to me because a, the first three years of a failure and the first three years of a juggernaut talking about ETH or, decentralized uh, smart contract tech, uh, blockchains um, in general, they're going to look almost identical. So like losing or winning any of these early cases in this first five years since 2017 is like, doesn't matter to me. People thought that when the, the, the Lao was a security, then death to ETH, right? ETH crashed down to nothing. Like, and it doesn't because if you believe in the tech to survive, it kind of will, uh, it will or it won't, but it's not going to be these micro ups or downs. Like the first five years are going to look the same for, for success or for failure, I think. I like your view on it. I mean, I think you're taking a very uh, measured approach to exactly what these cases. That's mean to today. But but you should have seen me when Moonbirds was crashing from 38 to 24. I wasn't as measured. So when it hits your bags, when it hits your bags, I wasn't measured. I love it. So the other last thing that I had pinned up to talk about a little bit, and I know Bernal has talked about it and had his views when we were when we were chatting in the thread, uh, is this Ripple uh, SEC case, and it looks like sort of a win for the attorney who uh, was intervening in this case under the amicus, uh, Mr. Mr. Deaton, they were pushing back that they wanted to push him out of the case. And he was challenging, I think, certain aspects of, the, of, of, a, of an expert witness. 
and the court ruled that uh, he can stay in the case. Um, he's not barred from further proceedings under his Amici status. Um, he can't participate in the expert witness challenge, but he can file an application to brief concerns with the SEC's expert at summary judgment. So sort of a compromise ruling by the court, but at least he still stays in the game. And I know you, you have a lot of respect for this lawyer and what he's able to do as a litigator. So what do you think about that? It's good for the public if John Deaton's involved. Um, I, I understand Bernal's. I read through his. He's really smart. Um, and he saw it as a splitting the baby. I, that's cool. I don't know the details of like what an amicus status like allows and doesn't allow. But if John's able to articulate his challenges to the expert and nobody's better at cross-examining an, us, an expert um, than, than him, in my experience, um, that's good. So whether it comes procedurally at the time of of a of a Dauber or procedurally at the time of a, of, a, of an SJ uh, a summary judgment motion, um, I just I just <clears throat> I just uh, what a what a badge of honor that the SEC tried to like. I was just shut thinking up, that. That's you know? respect. That's and respect when the other side wants you off the case. That's really and I'm glad he pushed back right away. I think he did a YouTube Q&A that night. Like he's he's really, really smart, smart on his feet. And he knows every detail of whatever case he's working on. Bernals, what's Bernals. up? Yeah, man, you came up. Welcome, Bernals. Hey, all. Uh, yeah. So this one, I actually think it's a win for the SEC. Um, I don't think anyone reasonably expected um, for him to be kicked off the case completely. I think the SEC, if you read through the SEC briefing, essentially both uh, uh, Ripple and him representing XRP owners wanted to allow him to basically team up uh, against the SEC as far as disqualifying this expert at the Dalbert stage. And uh, they both Ripple and him produced their letters saying why, why it should be allowed. And the SEC in response said, essentially, no, don't allow him to do that and also kick him off the case. And I don't think anyone actually thought like he was going to get kicked off the case completely. They, they were going to revoke the uh, Amakai status that he was that he had. But essentially, the court said, yeah, no, we're not we're not kicking him off the case. Like you can we already said dispositive motions he can brief on um, this is a dispositive motion if he wants to bring it up at summary judgment, he can. Um, but I, it's just, he, this is going to limit his page amount. Like it, if, he, if he had Daubert, he would able, he would have the full briefing that he could have. He's not going to want to put 20 pages of his summary judgment motion towards a Daubert issue. Like he would have 20 pages to. That's a good point. This. That's a, that's a fair point. So, I mean, it's, it's essentially saying like the court said, Hey, we said you could, we could, you said you could brief on dispositive motions. You can still brief on dispositive motions. This is a dispositive motion. You can't brief on this. I wonder if he can shadow brief. I wonder if he can shadow brief. Like, he may not be able to do it under his own name, but what stops him from... I think there's there's ethical things. In New York, I've heard of ethical things. In in some states, under some circumstances, I I have no idea. But to have him specifically crossed... 
Um, so he can't cross because this is because they be? already they already did the depot of the expert and they already did all of that and I don't know how. Yeah, this would be the motion the based on the tra- the, the yeah. transcript. What in other instances, like was the ruling very fact spe- case specific or or in general do these amakai status litigants or non litigants, however you characterize them, um, do they generally have permission to? Doubt to participate in Daubert, or is it generally limited to dispositive motions? I've never dealt with anything like that. You don't usually see it outside of dispositive motions or outside of the appellate level, um, because it's essentially, I mean, the whole amicus system is set up for friend of the court. So you're not, you're just trying to help them. You're saying, hey, court, I don't know if these two parties or how many parties are involved can give you sufficient information by themselves. Let me give you information as well. Um, and there's no, there's no limit that I'm aware of under the federal rules as far as what is or isn't allowed for amicus. I think it's, the, it's up to the court discretion of saying, yes, this is helpful, or no, this is just distracting. You're not helping in any way, shape, or form. I, we can figure this out without you. I've never been an amicus in a case, so it's completely uncharted for me that's i don't know much this about. is also yeah this is a very unusual situation because you don't see amicus outside of there's the very rarely the incentive yeah. for someone to be such a bulldog like he's the, really yeah he's, to involve themselves at that level uh after you've been denied the right to intervene because that, once you've been denied the right to intervene then there's no you don't have any kind of the case law isn't binding against you there isn't you don't have the same issue or claim preclusion issues um, so you don't, that's why you don't see the, the amicus raised as much after it's been a denial of right to intervene, as opposed to like appellate issues, which would be, which could create binding case law against you. Um, and that's why you see people actually, uh, put in their amicus on those situations more. Awesome background. Dude. Interesting. Thank Interesting. Thank you, Bird and Oz, for coming up and talking about it. Um, so that case is just going to drag on. That's, uh, I guess that's now going to be <laughs> that's a good conclusion. That's just going <laughs> to drag on. Like whenever we we have a slow news day, we can dive into Ripple. It's we're, we're, it's it's the stable case. In case of emergency, break bag and open Ripple. Yeah, it's the stable coin of of our talk show. I um, guess if we were a news show, it would be a slow day. We'd do a pet segment cute pets here's a, here's a picture <laughs> of my cat my cat bowling Back to well, you, Ray. <laughs> i think this is I, I mean that's that's really helpful for nulls to understand the procedural and kind of how unusual this particular instance is um <clears throat> so thank you i'm not sure there's a lot of big things going on OpenZ, Coinbase, Ripple. We have that Solana case. Um, any news on the on the micro projects? Like any on the on the flip side? Anything positive, Carlo? On the law. Yeah, NFT and NFT volume seems to be really at a a lull. Um, people are just looking for anything, anything positive, Carlo. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> In the NFT space, is there anything in the NFT space? That's no, positive? I was just. Kidding. It just seems like everything is very volume. quiet that's right what now. I'd love to know. It seems it, it seems tough to move things, huh? 
I mean, I think this is when you're you're still. I can tell you behind the scenes, there's quite a bit of still being put into this space. There's still quite a bit of builders issuing, trying to get licensing deals or getting software and all that kind of stuff. So the work is still being done for lots of these things behind the scenes. Um, we just, one of my favorite projects, Action Network, uh, or, uh, Knights of Degen, just got a deal with Action Network, which is like a betting, tracking, and uh, an analytics platform that holders get that. So you're still seeing people like enter these licensing deals and these these agreements, and they're still working behind the scenes. Just because you're not seeing people buying and selling as much doesn't mean you're not seeing very good builders um, and good entrepreneurs still trying to execute on the promises of what they, what the whole purpose of their various projects are. I like that. I think um, volume. Like- we were chatting. We were chatting a little bit about that innovation last night about this subdomain, this this possibility under ENS of of having your subdomains as potentially. The way I see that is a whole other secondary market for subdomains, <laughs> which is it's, it's exciting. That's an exciting use case. Yeah, if you're sitting on 48 useless .eth addresses and you're hosting a show, Carlo. I'm not trying to shill my bags, Jenkins. <laughs> yeah, Carlo can't sell the primary ENS. He's now thinks he's going to sell a bunch of subdomains of the one no one wants. No, I like it. It's the it's the Ponzi that keeps Ponzi. Lena, what's up? <laughs> I was waiting for something I can offer anything so in the research is it lena or lena it's lena lena okay beautiful that's from the 90s i I held on to it um the interesting part is from the research i've done so far because there is not a clean affiliation integration with ICANN, i and i can't confirm this but it appears that someone if they were wanting to do it could set up another dot eth domain and sell it. But I can't. How so? Because they're not um, part of ICANN, which uh, manages, facilitates, and lays policy for the domains in the, in the world today. So if they're not really, I've read it, I can't find a way to confirm it because there's no precedent for the situation. Um, but I just wanted to put that out there. Get some of you curious. I'd love to get more info on that. I'm not sure how the same domain. Uh, you know what I can do is we post my twice. research points if you want to look. Um, I don't know how, how else to do it. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, look, I don't Very know. Cool. Um, I'm still that figuring this stuff out. I, really I, cool. I, I, I don't I, have a use case for any of my ENS domains. So I'm open to, to seeing this technology evolve. I think it's promising. Um, I think it will simplify a lot of things. And I think the ability to take, if you have like a solid domain, like lawyers.eth, and then you can have individual lawyers tag up to that, you know, like birdenalls.lawyers.eth. It seems interesting. A lot of interesting. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, like we don't need to be in a position where our first gut reaction is like the best application. Like this will unlock like 
very cool things I'm certain of. I can't think of what they are. Um, Wendy, can you think of what they are? We got Wendy up too, Django. Let's see what Wendy has to say. Wendy, what's up? (laughs) No, actually, um, I had a question. I'm sorry to go backwards, but I had a question about the um, the Coinbase, um, the correspondence from the Coinbase CPO. And my question was um, why they seem to be exclusively engaging the SEC and not the CFTC. Um, I know that, that there's that the SEC has, has made charges against them, but um, I just was curious on, on why they weren't also engaging the CFTC. Interesting question. Um, I'm not sure I, that they're not. I don't think he ex- they explicitly said that they weren't. They didn't. Right? And it could be a strategic decision that why fight the why fight the agency that seems to be more in line with what you'd like to see happen in the space? Why why draw them into a fight when they seem to be at least on the surface? Because remember, the CFTC. The director of the CFTC, Ms. Pham, issued a statement kind of calling out the SEC for what they were doing to Coinbase. So they may not see a need to to mention the CFTC. I mean, that's the only thing I can speculate on that. Strategically, yeah. why? Those issues just aren't as, as actable to commodities. And that's the reason that everyone tries to avoid securities and not try to avoid commodities. Like, you don't need to go through a broker technically to buy and sell a commodity the registration requirements aren't aren't as aren't as intense for a marketplace that's buying and selling commodities um so that's we why rugged. i maybe i'm just rugged burden you're good carlo i can hear you but you probably can't hear us i'm good <clears throat> burden go good ahead now. But yeah, I was just saying that, yeah, so you don't have the same, re- like the thing that they mentioned in those letters are the fact that people are going through, jumping through hoops to try and be labeled as commodities, which OpenSea currently complies with commodities law um, to avoid being securities um, because of the cumbersome aspects of security regulation that just aren't aren't functional as far as uh, as far as crypto goes. Like it's not not functional to try and make it a coin that has to you have to use a broker's light. You have to use a broker to buy and sell that type of crypto. It's not functional um, for you to have to have this um, this tracking of previous owners and everything when you have a distributed ledger. Like those kind of things that like they already comply with commodities law, and that's why they don't have the same letter to the CFTC. Would there be like a, a dual type regulation then? Ultimately, is that what's going to happen, that the CFTC regulates some aspects and the SEC regulates other aspects? Yeah, that's what they, I think they even say that in their letter. Like they say, like, why can't we be a marketplace that sells both commodities and securities? Why can't some of these coins be securities and there be carve outs for these things that just aren't functional as far as uh, as far as crypto goes, but they fit all the other aspects of being a security. Why can't we have a separate rule for that? Um, so yeah, no, I think that I think that is the end goal is that some of these projects are going to wish want to issue as securities. They aren't want to try and go. They're fine with disclosing. They're fine with all this other stuff. It's just the the aspects of securities law that aren't possible to also be practicing as a cryptocurrency with a distributed ledger 
um, are the ones that they take issue with. Which again circles back to we have antiquated rules in place for a new and totally innovative technology. We got we to gotta evolve beyond this, man. Yeah, and I think I said it in our in our kind of side chat too. That's why I'm not. I don't really care that there was a delay in the stablecoin bill because I think that stablecoins are in a good spot now that we kind of realize that uh, the algorithmic stablecoins probably aren't a good idea and they're riskier than people maybe think. Um, and just stick to has the market realized that? Yeah, or are there I short? Are there short memories? So. Are there short memories? And are we going to see a repeat of the housing bubble, so to speak? Is it just going to creep up again in, in five years? Mm-hmm. Well, I not even so. five years. I mean, next year. Like, are we totally done with the algo stable coins? I, 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 I want your premise to be true. I just I, I just jumped in. I don't know. I, it, yeah, to no, me, I think, thinks that maybe... I think there is going to be people that come forward and be like, our algo stable coin is better than the other algo stable coins. But at least now, the same thing, like when people said, like, not your coins, not your crypto. I think people are going to look at algo stable coins the same way that people look at exchanges and be like and make their make their own intelligent decisions when it comes to like if it's too good to be true, maybe maybe take a second look because these things are aren't too big to fail. These things can fail. Problem is there'll always be newbies who don't know the history, who don't know how bad people got burned and who come in completely blind and unwashed. Yeah, I just haven't seen a non-backed stable coin uh, kind of jump off post Luna. I mean, I've seen like basically the only things I ever see people talk about are USDC and Dai, which are both fully backed. So I don't know. Uh, I maybe maybe once well, it comes off. Interesting conversation again today. Um, we covered some good ground. Jenko, I heard you either washing the dishes or frying peppers. So. What was for lunch today before that we closed? That was just a sink. I don't know. I got to figure that out after I'm off of this. Thanks, ah. Bernal, for joining. Wendy, thank yeah. you. Thanks for hosting, yeah. Carlo. All right. We're going to do it again tomorrow. Um, I'm sure there'll be at least a half a dozen new things to talk about. <laughs> thank you to everyone who joined us, taking time out of your day as usual. We always appreciate you stopping in with us. Give a follow if you haven't already to the lawyers that came up and talked. Ellie, thanks for being in the house. Matt, thanks for being in the house to join us. Thanks to Rug Radio for helping us uh, get this thing off the ground. Jenko, enjoy lunch, and uh, we'll do it again tomorrow, everybody. Thank you.